Ukraine's counteroffensive is ongoing, while Russia bombs world's cultural heritage sites. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Ukraine's counteroffensive is ongoing, with Ukraine's armed forces liberating several villages in the east and in the south. Ukraine also blows up more of the arms depots located in Crimea and in the deeper locations of the Russian army. Meanwhile, Russia has continued shelling Ukrainian peaceful cities with a particular emphasis on Odessa this week. Among other things, Russia has hit the UNESCO-protected parts of the city. This is our weekly overview of key events and trends in and around Ukraine this week, from the 21st until 28th of July 2023. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and chief editor of Ukraine World. I'm joined by my colleagues Maxim Panchenko and Anastasia Heresimchuk, analysts and journalists at Ukraine World. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Maxim and Nastya, thank you so much for joining this conversation. So let us reflect upon the major events and trends in and around Ukraine over the past week. Maxim, the floor is yours. Yes, thank you for having us once again. So first of all, we're going to traditionally to touch upon the Ukraine's counteroffensive, how it's going, uh, about developments in that regard in uh, Crimea, in Moscow. We're going to talk about Russia's ongoing violence in Ukrainian peaceful cities, in Odessa particularly, uh, about its behavior in a way uh, around the Zaporizhia NPP and how it is threatful to the world. We're going to, but majorly, we're going to dwell on the developments around the grain deal. It's basically termination. Russia's politics, uh, after it was terminated and the uh, Russia-Africa summit that is happening yesterday and today because much of its contents is dedicated to, to the grain deal. Okay, so let's start with the uh, situation on the ground, uh, on the battlefield. Uh, there were publications this week in the major uh, Western media, American media primarily, that we are entering in the decisive stage of the Ukrainian counteroffensive. Here in Ukraine, we actually perceive this information with a, a bit of skepticism, frankly, because uh, we we talk to soldiers on the front line, we see how the difficult situation is, but maybe we don't know something, right? So... There were news that Ukraine is really uh, preparing something something bigger compared to what we have seen in the past uh, weeks. And um, actually, indeed, Ukraine succeeds in liberating um, some of the villages, particularly in the south. And what is more important is that we see quite, again, quite negative reactions in the Russian social media with people saying that, um, I mean people, the, the commanders writing in Telegram, again, we don't know whether to trust them or not, but they are writing that there is a panic and disorder among Russian troops. So, Maxim, uh, what is the situation on the front line? 
Yes, so to speak more or less about the map of developments, uh, there are some gains in the south and in the east of Ukraine. In the south, Ukraine has liberated uh, the village of Staromayorske and in the east has liberated the village of Andreevka. village of Andreevka is to the south of Bakhmut. So the idea there in that area is to for Ukrainian troops to encircle uh, Bakhmut and to take it under the fire control, more or less. And in the south, uh, even though, once again, it may not sound like a big deal, that Ukraine has liberated one more village, a village, not a town or a city. Uh, but still, this is important strategically because uh, what Ukraine has done on a more strategic plane is it has come forward uh, and approached uh, Russian, uh, the Russian major line of defense. So Ukraine has eaten through these minefields in several places from what one can gather and approached the main, uh, the main trenches of, of uh, Russians in the, uh, in the south. So I think it is based on that that, Russia, that uh, international media come to a conclusion that because Ukrainians have advanced this far, uh, it is now imminent that Russia and Ukraine are going to clench at the major uh, basically front line in the south. And this is why uh, international media are saying that uh, the next several weeks are going to be uh, decisive. We'll have to see, as you said, Vodya, we are quite skeptical here in Ukraine about whether that's going to happen or not. But uh, there indeed have been reports that additional forces on the Ukrainian side have been pulled into the battle in the south. So we are going to follow the events there and to report on them further. Indeed, because we cannot really judge uh, what is happening because there are huge minefields in the south. We know that. Uh, we talked about this in uh, on our podcast on numerous occasions. But at the same time, we understand that you cannot really mine everything. So there will be certainly some holes, some loopholes in which you can you can enter. There are also some of the versions is that, for example, uh, the the banks of the Kachovka water reserve which is uh, you know which is has much less water than before after russians exploded the kakhovka dam can also be more fragile for 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 the russians uh, we actually traveled this week to zaporizhia and um, we'll talk about zaporizhia particularly in one of our latest la- later podcasts also about the occupied territories in the zaporizhia region this is indeed a very very important region right now uh, there is also attempts of counteroffensive of Ukraine near Bakhmut. So I think everybody learned already the name of Bakhmut. And it seems that Ukrainians are now, while we, we remember that the uh, Ukrainian army has left the city, but now is trying to uh, go around it. And it seems that um, in these territories, Ukrainians also have some some success. Uh, but what is also very important is that Ukrainians are trying to really hit the deep um, targets of the Russian army deep in the rear. And it concerns the Crimean Peninsula. It concerns also southern Ukraine, eastern Ukraine, the occupied territories. And here, very important, these latest um, supplies uh, from the West, uh, like the British Storm Shadow rockets and um, some other equipment. So, Maxim, what can you say about this, about these attempts of Ukrainians to actually, you know, hit the Russian, the Russian supplies, uh, supplies depots and supply routes? 
Well, my major idea here is that it's vital to remember how much of a piece of a puzzle it is. That this has been happening for a couple of weeks now uh, on a continuous basis. That Ukraine has, uh, ever since the explosion, more or less, uh, ever since the explosion uh, on the Kerch Bridge, which has been the second one since October last year, uh, the explosions on arms depots, on railways in Crimea have been consistent uh, several times a week. And I have even come across uh, information that uh, this has impacted, this demilitarization of the Crimean Peninsula has impacted the nature of the strikes against Odessa in the recent weeks. We're going to talk about Odessa in more detail because my colleague uh, Nastya is living there so she can provide a first-hand account of uh, what's happening there. But the last several from the array uh, of the attacks on Odessa have reportedly been missing the use by Russians of the Onyx missiles. And that, uh, some say, might be uh, the evidence that Ukrainians had hit those particular stockpile, stockpiles of those particular rockets in Crimea. So that there is the first-hand evidence that uh, indeed this place into the hands of Ukraine, trying to defeat its cities, not just fighting uh, in the front lines. Indeed, let's turn to Odessa, and we are very happy to to hear uh, Nastya. Nastya Hersimchuk is in Odessa actually, and uh, you, Nastya, has lived through have lived through difficult days over the past week and previously, when Russians really started uh, shelling uh, Odessa in a, in a very crazy way. Let us say that previously Odessa was rather not very often targeted by the Russian rockets. Um, and let us remind that recently the center of Odessa, the Odessa downtown, was recognized uh, as uh, UNESCO heritage, and uh, Russians actually shelled the UNESCO heritage parts of the city. So can you tell us about the situation in Odessa? Indeed, uh, people in Odessa have lived through the most terrifying weeks uh, in, in their life, and the strikes, uh, the air strikes by Russians were really massive and uh, really scary. And the consequences are unfortunately uh, very dramatic. Um, let's focus on the city center and on the UNESCO heritage sites. So uh, Russians hit the very heart of uh, Orthodox um, Orthodox, Orthodox residents of Odessa, they heavily damaged the main Orthodox church in Odessa. Uh, and the, um, it is not completely, completely destroyed actually, but the, um, damage is so, so heavy that, uh, the part of the cathedral can, uh, fall down like every moment. And at the same time, like people in Odessa were so, uh, deeply impressed by by this um terror attack and after like crying over the events people gathered all together and started working on the uh, strike sites to help the city services municipal services to uh, clean the area clean the rubbles uh, the other uh, place which was under the airstrike is one of the central uh, streets and uh, a number of uh, historical buildings uh, that are protected by UNESCO were damaged or completely destroyed. And now we are talking about 29 uh, objects of uh, UNESCO heritage. So um, they were buildings, um, 
built in 17th, 18th century. The house of scientists in Odessa was almost completely destroyed and the area close to it. Uh, so um, the damage is, is, is really huge and it's a cultural loss, first of all. Russians attacked Odessa with various types of missiles, including Calibers, Onyx, X-22, Iskander K, Iskander M. And uh, unfortunately, Ukrainian air defense cannot shut uh, Onyx and X-22 missiles. That's why the uh, destructions are so, so big. Mm, and there are also hum human losses. Uh, unfortunately, under this massive attack, one person died. And uh, after uh, several days, um, the body of uh, another person was found. It was not in the city center, but in the Odessa Oblast, uh, in a private uh, residence area, which was also attacked by Russians. So um, the second uh, person was also killed and more than 20 people were wounded including children so the attack was really heavy and uh, we understand that russians want only uh, not only damage ukrainian economy but also hit our hearts and uh, demoralize us Yes, I remember talking to my friends in Odessa, and, and frankly, uh, I also know people who were preparing these papers to recognize the Odessa Center as UNESCO heritage site. And uh, we were talking about this, and I was asking, we were asking, so why are you doing this uh, uh, during the war already? It, it was happening after the full-scale invasion, and one of the uh, one of the considerations was that look, if we succeed in making Odessa city center a UNESCO protected site, probably Russians will will think twice uh, because they are, you know this mythology of Odessa as a Russian city and. Uh, uh, you know, this mythology of Catherine II, who uh, allegedly uh, founded Odessa, although we know that on this place there were uh, previous, of course, historical set settlements, uh, Turkish settlements, uh, and, and the city of Hajibay. But there was this, uh, you know, this maybe maybe illusion that uh, UNESCO status will protect Odessa from shelling. And this this didn't happen. This didn't happen. Another thing that you mentioned is that actually they hit a um, a cathedral of the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church of Moscow Patriarchy, which in Ukraine, as our listeners probably know, is considered by many people as a kind of a, a major instrument of Russian influence here and indeed very dependent on Russian Orthodox Church. And we, pre pre frankly, have seen a lot of such places of uh, Russian-aligned Orthodox cathedral in, in, in different places in Ukraine, which were destroyed by the Russian bombs and, and by the Russian missiles. So this is, this is the reality, actually. Uh, Russians proclaim some territories, some sites as, um, as you know, uh, aligned with Russian culture, but actually they hid them, they... Uh, they sacrifice them as well. Nastya, let me ask you another question which is related to the Ukrainian port infrastructure because we have seen that Russia has withdrew, withdrawn from the uh, grain deal and therefore they really try to 
damage Ukrainian um, grain exports, and not only by uh, blockading, by organizing a sea blockade, but also by hitting the Ukrainian port in- infrastructure. Um, at the same time, Ukraine is trying to uh, go away from this trap and is trying to use the uh, the ports on Danube to export its grain. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Yes, Volodya, the primary target target of Russia's attacks on the uh, ports of the south of, of Ukraine, of Odessa region, uh, was exactly the port infrastructure and port facilities. And we also shouldn't forget about the uh, grain storage. So it's one complex port facilities and grain storage as a part of one story, as a part of Ukrainian export uh, capabilities. So uh, over these attacks, 26 objects of port infrastructure were damaged. So um, Odessa, big Odessa port consists of three smaller ports, which are Odessa port, Chornomorsk port, and Pivdenny port. And each of these ports were hit by Russian missiles. Uh, and um, what is also awful about all these strikes, it's, it's not only about infrastructure. It's not only about the capability of Ukrainian ports to send ships uh, to um, sell grain. It's also about the attacks on the grain itself. So uh, with these attacks, Russians uh, destroyed and completely burned uh, dozens of tons of grains. So they destroyed the storages, the terminals. Uh, So while uh, talking about the food security and trying to play uh, this uh, game of protector of the global south, let's say so, Uh, Indeed, Russians are uh, causing problems and um, put under the threat the global food security by destroying, destroying Ukrainian grain. And you also mentioned about the Danube port. So Ukraine is really trying to find alternative routes for grain exports and um, the city of Reni and port of Reni, which is located on the Danube River, was unfortunately another target of Russian strikes. So Russians are trying to deprive Ukraine even of alternative routes. And several storages of grain were also uh, hit there. So we see that uh, Russian terror doesn't have any limits and they are trying to do everything possible, not only uh, to prevent Ukraine from export capabilities, but also to um, terrify the world and also to um, blackmail the world, asking for certain for certain uh, sanctions liftings, etc., to improve their situation inside the state. Thank you, Nastya. Maxim, you wanted to add something? Yes, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the optics of all these things because I understand that in the West it is very... Oh, elsewhere in the world from, from which our countries have listeners happen to be. Uh, it is very easy to perceive the situation as like, okay, Odessa is being shelled because most often they read about Odessa in... Uh, uh, in the news feed, but uh, so I wanted to introduce some figures and the bigger picture to to the understanding, so that our listeners would understand the scope of the uh, of uh, how Ukrainian exports, grain exports, and export exports in general are impacted. So Ukraine before the war, Ukraine had thirteen ports. 
so 13 different ports. Several of them are, have been under occupation since 2022, so it's Mariupol, Berdyansk, and Skadovsk, which leaves us with 10 other ports. A couple of others, which is which are Kherson, Mykolaiv, and Olvia, are blocked because even though they are deoccupied or have never been under the occupation, it is impossible to use them because of the proximity of Russian, Russian artillery, which leaves us with another seven ports. Then there are the three ports of the big Odessa that Nastya has referred rightfully to, the Pivdenny, the Odessa, and the Ilyichivsko, the Chernomorsk ports, uh, that are most often targeted, and those are the ones that are most often resurfacing in the news feed, uh, and uh, against, against which majority of the strikes have been, has been launched in the last week, which leaves us with only other four ports, which is the Bilhorodnistrovsky uh, port, and that's another one that has been hit, namely this week. And there are the three ports on Danube, the Uzdunaisk, the Ismail, and the Renyuan. And the Renyuan, as Nastya said, has been hit this, uh, this week too. And also, what, is, what needs to be emphasized here is that it is in the near proximity of two other countries, of Moldova, because the Drujulashti port in Moldova is maybe like two kilometers away from the Reni port. And also there is... The, the the border between Romania and Ukraine it goes along the river along the Danube, on which Ukraine has its port. So we need to understand that when Russia is already deciding to strike against those particular ports, the last ones that had previously not been targeted, it risks international incidents, which of course Russia does not want. It risks being blamed for having accidentally targeted Romanian territory, for instance, because Russian rockets have have been known for not being too accurate in many instances. So Russia risks that, but thinks that it is worth that risk to target and to uh, demolish Ukrainian capacities to export. So think about that for a minute. Yes, and another aspect is that we have been recently to these places, to Bessarabia, the the very specific regions of the Odessa Oblast uh, in which, uh, well, frankly speaking, uh, people are not always so committed to the Ukrainian political and civic identity and uh, and kind of perceive themselves as uh, living somewhere outside of what is happening in Ukraine, and uh, including in this war, and maybe thinking that the war will not come to them. But we see how Russians are actually targeting all the Ukrainian territory, including those uh, those territories, those ports, which are Ukrainians trying to use as far as possible from the front line to export um, its production, its its goods. Maxim, so Ukraine tried to respond to this, and uh, actually, um, President Zelensky has um, has tried to respond to this by. Uh, by uh, uh, convening, convening yes. Yes, yes, thank you, Ukraine NATO Council, an institution, a new institution which was set up in the latest Vilnius NATO Ukraine summit. Uh, so, trying to make some very practical, uh, practical moves. Uh, what do you think, and how you can explain, and maybe you can you can tell us something about it. Well, 
Not too many facts about this unknown, but the reason I wanted to have this included in the conversation is that, indeed, that this was a crash tra- test for for the newly established institution, the uh, Ukraine NATO summit, uh, Ukraine NATO sorry council, and um, even though we do not have any specific information on the outcomes, which might be obvious and might be logical given the clandestine nature of many of the diplomatic talks on the issue, but. Uh, um, we have the appraisal of President Zelensky, who said that uh, this newly established body has uh, shown its uh, efficacy and the good outcomes of the first meeting. And once again, we don't know the specifics, but we know how President Zelensky is critical of the inefficacy of so many of so many international bodies. Like, if the UN is not doing enough, he will tell that point blank for instance, uh, as he would about an area of other international organizations. The fact that he has said this about this first meeting of the council means that there might have been some uh, mechanisms, uh, even though they are not public yet, uh, that are going to help the situation and that we're not abandoned in this uh, in this situation. Because there have been uh, there have been rumors in international press for the last week, from what I gather, uh, about the West and particularly the US not being enthusiastic enough to help Ukraine with de-blocking Ukrainian ports, meaning to push back Russia further enough for Ukraine to be able to continue the grain deal on the bilateral basis with the UN and Turkey without the uh, without the participation of Russia. So uh, against that backdrop, it is it, it uh, inspires some enthusiasm as to which uh, conclusions might have been reached in that during that council. Yes, let's hope that there will be practical conclusions because, of course, Ukraine has been very disappointed with the lack of formal invitation to the NATO on, at the uh, Vilnius NATO summit, but probably we hope that there is there will be uh, a lot of practical issues that... Uh, that will be actually um, that will will be a, a consequences of this uh, Ukraine NATO Ukraine NATO Council, uh, but there is another another aspect of the problems of grain corridor and grain exports is of course the uh, the um, the other parts of the world which are recipients of the Ukrainian agriculture and particularly we are thinking about Africa. And the last the question will be to you because uh, Russia uh, and um, Russia actually held a Russia Africa summit uh, on July 27th, July 28th in St. Petersburg. Of course, Russia is trying to position itself as a country which which defends Africa from I don't know American imperialism or whatever else. So, what can you say about this summit? This summit is really an important and interesting event that uh, we should analyze and closely follow the results of it. And here we can analyze several aspects. So first of all, we need to understand that convening such summits, uh, trying to cooperate closely with African states or uh, with the states of African continent, Russia is trying to compete with Ukraine and Ukraine uh, because the states of uh, African continent are extremely important regarding the uh, voting in the UN. So uh, Russia has been playing uh, in the continent for quite long. Ukraine started um, 
its African policy like has started it recently, but is trying to be as active as possible. So coming back to the uh, Russia African summit. Uh, so um, Russia had a very high expectations from this summit and uh, wanted to show that it is a diplomatic success of the state and wanted to um, prove the importance of Russia in the continent in general. But it didn't happen as Russians wanted it to be. Uh, and um, if we are talking about the amount of leaders that attended this uh, summit, there were only 17 leaders of African states uh, and all the rest were uh, presented by ministers or even envoys, and five African states were not presented at the summit at all. Uh, and if compare, for example, with the summit of 2019, which was the huge success for Russia, uh, 45 representatives, 45 state leaders were presented. This year, it's only 17. And we can say uh, that it is a direct consequence of uh, Russian actions regarding the global food security. We also know that uh, some African leaders expressed the uh, resentment and expressed their um, their concern about what what is going on. For example, the Kenyan leaders they called the Russian actions as a stab on their back. Uh, so um, we we can say that um, Russian actions in the Black Sea have like huge reputation, cause huge reputational losses. Nevertheless, Russia is trying to offer African states um, many opportunities to cooperate, and Ukraine should watch it very closely so that we also can counteract and offer. Uh, cooperation from our side. Uh, what is also interesting here, Putin, while talking about the global food security and uh, African food security, offered several states like uh, about 25, 50,000 tons uh, of grains for free. And the uh, international community reacted to such a thing, uh, telling that this tiny amount of grains cannot substitute the losses uh, that um, African states are facing. And when we are talking about the food uh, security uh, crisis, it's not only about the amount of grains, but also about the prices. So Russian actions um, cause the raise of prices on uh, agricultural products. Uh, so this um, image uh, of the saviors of, uh, of of the saviors of Africa, like it, it doesn't work, luckily, and it also can be considered as a bribery uh, for uh, supporting Russian blackmailing uh, in, in this regard. Uh, Russia also offered. Um, African states' cooperation in uh, education, in media sphere, and uh, it is very, very um, dangerous because Russia is offering a close cooperation with Russian media giants so that uh, the number of Russian media in African information space should raise and uh, Ukraine should pay attention to it because we need to be informationally media present more in these states. Uh, and um, they also talked about the uh, building of uh, nuclear power plants and cooperation in some industrial spheres, such as 
um, metal production, etc. And of course, they were talking about weapons supplies. So even though a Russian image is deteriorating in the eyes of African states, still Russia is trying to uh, get as deep as possible and cooperate in as many spheres as possible with the African states and to get the votes and to get the support for uh, from some other s- states uh, while um, announcing about its demands. Thank you, Nastya. Maxim, you want to add something? Yes, I just wanted to, uh, to add like on several uh, specificities with this. Uh, continuing, continuing on what um, Nastya said about the countries to which uh, Putin promised delivery of uh, up to 50,000 tons of grain, uh, I paid specific attention to which countries those are. And those are the such countries as Burkina Faso, Zimbabwe, Mali, Somalia, Central African Republic, and Eritrea. Four of these countries are the ones where the presence of the Wagner Group is very significant. That w- those would be Mali, Central African Republic, Burkina Faso, and to a lesser extent Zimbabwe. And Eritrea is the one who is the only African country who is known to vote uh, against Ukraine during the UN Assembly votings. And Somalia, well, it's pretty much a failed state, uh, has been for decades, so it's quite easy to manipulate. It's uh, sorry for being that straightforward, but I mean, uh, it is known as not to be a democratic regime. So no uh, surprise there, but to the contrary, it seems like Russia is trying to come off as a benefactor for African countries, but uh, literally, on the other hand, it is just trying to control those countries that it controls already, but to do it even more. So that's one thing. And uh, the second thing is that um, I looked up the amount of Ukrainian grain exported in 2022-2023 up to May this year, and in total it was more than 35 million tons. And now Russia trying to hand out up to 50,000 tons, even if it's to each country, because honestly, I did not understand whether that was an aggregate or to each country. But even if it is to each country, it seems like Russia is trying to buy African votes, African countries, what is called on cents on the dollar. And of course, African leaders perceive that that they are trying to be bought cheaply, and that is not even about the money, It's it also is about the respect. So this leads me to the idea that maybe it's not it's no wonder, even in this specific reasoning, that uh, so little uh, uh, African leaders have visited this uh, summit in, in St. Petersburg, because as Nasser has said, a couple of years back, there were 40 plus of them, and now only 17. Thank you very much, Maxim, and thank you, Nastya, for this deep analysis. Indeed, it's it's very important to look at it and and look at how Russia is cynically trying to buy some countries which are which it considers as uh, potential allies. But we see how uh, we hope it it will fail. Maybe the last news is that International Atomic Energy Agency reports that it has dis- discovered anti-personnel mines in the territory of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which is the first documented evidence of this presence of mines. And the Russians have also tried to put the fourth energy block into the hot shutdown status in the absence of available licenses. So this is something that we are talking very often about, this nuclear nuclear blackmail by Russians. Uh, a blackmail that they can do something very, very bad at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. 
Um, I think we will follow this topic, of course, very, very much uh, closely in in the future as well. So this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. This was our weekly overview of major events in and around Ukraine uh, over the past week from the July 21st until July 28, 2023. Ukraine World is a website in various languages about Ukraine. Uh, it is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. And I was joined by my wonderful colleagues, Anastasia Harasimchuk and Maxim Panchenko, analysts and journalists at Ukraine World. Uh, you can support our work actually at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. We will really appreciate your support uh, of our analysis and our newsmaking about Ukraine. And what can I say? Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. <laughs>